Blog Talk Radio.
it doesn't matter if you decide that you want if that direction is PUP, UDP, or a third party. If that's your direction and you believe in that, then my hat's off to you. I'm not here to tell you that that's wrong or you shouldn't do that. If you believe that, the only way you can develop within is within the confines of if you join the PUP or the UDP, then that's that's then that works for you fine. But I'm here to tell you that you should not be you should not just pigeonhole yourself within that con that construct. You need to look at other outside look outside and see where there are other means or there are other avenues that perhaps can lend itself to what you're into. So um there's nothing wrong with you uh Um, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with you uh, um, believing that that's the avenue for you. Um, you, you, you the only thing that I say to people like that is that don't get to the point where you believe that um, that is the only way. There's no other way, and that we must follow that direction for development. Because what you do is you limit yourself to the possibilities of what this country can be. I mean, look, Belize has gone through a lot, and I don't like to say people like to say, "Oh well, you know, we you know we blaming colonialism." But I'm not blaming colonialism. I'm just saying that we need to examine. We need to examine our history and see where we came from. Um. We need to see where we come, where we come from as a as a nation, and the fact of the matter is, colonialism is the bed root of what you know, you know of what that country is geared on, and um, you know which is a which which colonialism as a system was based on racism, sexism, classism, and the denial of individual rights. So if that's your legacy. And you try to build a foundation from that particular thing. Of course, it's going to be difficult. Of course, you're going to have a lot of the warts and the and the inconsistencies that comes with that. I don't expect you to be perfect, and so but you cannot dismiss it and decide that that's not important or that's not relevant to, for where you are as a, as a nation. Um, it's not it's not true, you know, you know. You have to recognize what your your historical context is for you in order for you to um in order for you to be able to move forward to the next level. And it's like people were saying, Oh well you should just dismiss slavery. No one is saying that you should harp on slavery and saying that it's you know, it's it's this it's uh the only reason why why blacks black liberation is an issue. The fact of the matter, it's a major reason why. But we're not going to use that as, as an excuse, because at this point, we ought to excuse it. But the point is, we have to recognize that historical context in order for us to move on to the next level. Because, you know, in, in Belize's case, you know, we are, we are a former British colony. And many of the things that, that, uh, that, that as, a, as, as colonies go, like any other um, colony that had independence, reflected at the time of independence, were sharp class division, dangerous gaps between the haves and the have-nots. So these are things that continue to plague us as a nation. And I just saw somewhere where they said that for Mother's Day, the ruling political party 
decide that they're going to give their um, their standard bearers or the people who are and the ministers fifty thousand dollars to distribute for Mother's Day, and I'm saying to myself, okay, from a policy standpoint, how does that make any sense? And people look at you like, oh, oh you know, you're 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 screwed, you're curmudgeon because you 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 know you are you're trying to um talk against something, oh that's good for the people. But how can you take the people's money, give it back to them, and then decide that that's with benevolence? You you're just perpetuating that dependency. Look, I'm all for social social uh climbing and everything, but you don't you don't um you don't take the people's purse, distribute it back to them, and call it benevolence. No, you just, that that's wrong. And first of all, you can, you know, fifth, what if, if, let's say a constituency that has over nine thousand people. How is that going to be fair to what does really who who who's getting this fifty thousand dollars? Because all those people pay taxes. Every single one of them pay taxes. And you're just going to distribute fifty thousand. It's just not right as a policy, and it's not. It, it's just not ethical because you will be denying a whole cross segment of your population benefits that you claim you're doing for the development of your people. So, those are some of the reasons why I um, oppose those kind of things. You know, my. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to, Dr. Lira Almendares is going to join me in a minute so that I can get him clear with his, you know, uh, to, to get in, to log into the Skype address. You know, if anybody wants to use Skype, it's Listener 28 That's Listener 28 And if you want to listen to the show, you don't have to be in front of your computer. You can call 714-242-6119. Uh, um, and you can call in. Um, I'm going to try to get Doctor um, Doctor Almandares. And um, this is an re- excellent brother here. He's this brother here. You know, he's um, one of the few brothers in Belize who, you know, who who really look at Belize development not just from from a static point of view, but from a Broad conception, whether it be water conservation, whether it be energy conservation, whether it be developing resources, and he's looking at Belize's development so that we can, from a from a holistic standpoint, that can have long-term sustainable economic development. And that's why I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited to you know to get him on. Um, he's in Belize City, and as you all know. Um, you know, as you all know, as you all know, you know, we have um, bandwidth issues. So sometimes, when you know, when when you know, when when they go on a uh, Skype, it's it's always uh, it's always sometimes the the, the the streaming is not good, and sometimes you get cut off, and and um, it's a little bit frustrating. But I'm asking you to please let's overlook some of these shortcomings because at the end of the day. We're just trying to um, do what's right for, you know, we're just trying to 
to you know bring you information and do do what's right. I'm not going to criticize the fact that oh, um, that this you know um, we having you know we sometimes we have bandwidth issues and you know we like for example when I was in Belize I did I tried to do uh, a conversation with Doctor Bernard Bull and we kept on. And I was using Skype, and it kept on getting cut off. And he was in the states in in Massachusetts, and uh, it was just it was just very very frustrating. But through it all, that we were still were able to get out the information that we or the message that we are trying to get out. So sometimes it's just you know it's, that's just the way it is. And you know, again, um, believe like I said, well. We have to ask ourselves sometimes. I really think, and I thought about this, you know, I've said, what does the people of Belize want? They want a corrupt free government, low crime, adequate health care, appropriate education, affordable housing, solving of the Guatemala cane. Okay, but I ask, how high is stopping corruption in public life on their agenda? I mean, because these are all legitimate public policy questions. However, it begs the question, does a reactionary ad hoc stopgap wait-and-see approach to policy formulation and implementation lends itself to efficient governance and jurisprudence? Because cause no serious attempt is ever really made to educate and inform the public about the importance of and long-term implications of the policy apparatus to our national interests. So we say we want We say we want corruption-free, but we don't really, we you know, we we we're not are we educated enough to understand what we're saying when we say we want a corruption-free government? Because is that the only issue that's 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 a that's a deliberating to our to our national development? You know, so we have to really look at these things. And I'm trying to get Dr. Almandaris on, so please bear with me. Uh, we have to really look at these things from a... And I'm trying to do, you know, multitask here. Because I'm talking to him in boxing, you know. And I'm trying to get him straight as to how to, how to, um, how to sign on. Anyway, but another thing that we need to look at is our bureaucrats are not trained to solve public policy problems. Rather, they have to answer to the mandates of powerful government ministers. So, in a country where elected representatives speak and vote for their constituents with sometimes disastrous results, that approach to policy where you have to wait and see and ad hoc, it can be very devastating. Um, and of course, you know this 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 undemocratic political culture of um, concentrating hands in a few well powerful government ministers. It has paradoxically paradoxically served at the same time to penetrate and break down the very institutions whose role it is to govern the state. And so. Basically, what you as a bureaucrat, even though you're highly trained and highly, you know, you go to some of the best universities in the world, you just become a mere emissary, and at the beck and call of your of 
corrupt, career-minded, unprincipled, liar politicians. Because you, you know, you, they send you to study, or you go to study the UWI, or some of the best institutions in the United States, and then you go back there, and then what? You just forget your intellect. You just forget what, whatever you study. You just go back there, and plug into it, and don't question anything. You just accept everything. Uh, you know, that's that. These are some of the things that me and Doctor Amandaris will talk about. You know, as soon as I can get him to, you know, to to, to log in. Um, in any event, I think he's in, and um, I'm gonna see. Um, let me see if it's uh, it's Doctor Amandaris. Are you on the line? Dr. Almandaris, are you on the line? Dr. Leroy, are you there? Okay, I'm not sure if he's on yet. Are you on? Are you on? Okay, let me. This is the part of the frustrating part when I do the show because it's um you know sometimes I uh you know the the, the technical. Um, technical difficulties sometimes just a little bit overwhelming, and um, I'm not in the least, so I can't. I mean, it's you know, I give you the Skype address, and then you just type that into your Skype directory, and then you you know, it's only unique to the show, and I'm, that's only available after the show goes live. So um, that's one of the reasons why sometimes I have to just be very patient, and I ask you to be patient if you're listening, so that you can um, so that you can um. Enjoy the show and enjoy, the, you know, my guests and what they have to say. But um, just um, just bear with me while I work that while I try to work with the technical difficulty and try to get Dr. Almandaris in. In the meantime, I'm going to see. Yeah, I um bear with me for a minute, please. How's someone from three four seven? Um, are you on the line? Who am I speaking to? There's a caller on three on a from a three four seven on Oh, I'd like to know who you are. Who am I speaking to at 347? 347? Yeah, who who is this? This is Joseph Roca. Oh, hi, Joe. Oh, Joseph Roca. Okay, Joe. Um, I uh, I uh, I'm trying to get Doctor Almandaris. I saw your, I saw it. I saw you come in, but um, um, 
like you know, he's he's having an issue with his Skype, you know, and um, you 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 brought you the brother from um, you the former BDF officer, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I mean, I I I I'm trying to get um, brother um, Leroy uh, Mondaris. He's in Belize City, and uh, you're in New York, correct? That is correct. Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I. For the, for my listeners, if you don't know, uh, you know this is kind of a pleasant surprise. Because um, typically, when when I give you a number to call in, sometimes you know it, because you can also listen to the show via via um, uh, telephone. You don't have to be in front of your computer or stuck there. So, brother Joseph is one of my listeners who you know who a frequent listener who calls in all the time. So, I I decided I'm just going to acknowledge him this morning. Um, um, until I get Dr. Almandaris uh, on, but so Brother Roca, what was uh, how is everything going with you? The, yeah, everything's going fine, Hubert. Um, I just decided I want to, you know, uh, tune in today and listen to the, to the to the to the program because I've been extremely busy over the last couple of weeks and I haven't been able to, to come on board. You know. Okay. All right. Do you know Dr. Almandaris? Um, so I've read the I've read the bio that you you posted on uh, online. Um, mm. I see the work that he's doing, and I see where he has been um, exposed to different situations uh, around the world, you know. And I could see that he's a pretty uh, well qualified individual to do the job that he's doing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But I don't know well, him personally. No. Yeah, well, he's on the line. Uh, he's on the line right now, Joseph. And if you want to, I mean, if you know, I, I since you're in, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, you you you're welcome to uh, to join us if you want to, um, you know, be a part of the conversation. You know, it's not a problem because I know you always have a lot to say on these blogs. So you know, I'll give you an opportunity to to be a part of it if if that's okay with you. Well, right now I'm just gonna be a keen listener, Hubert. Uh, if there's anything that I need to to I think I would like to add, I would, I would do so, but otherwise okay. I'm just going to follow the conversation. All right, but I'd like to welcome uh, the gentleman to, to, to the forum, you know. All it's, right, it's thanks, good a lot, to have... yeah. thanks, thanks a lot then, Joseph. Dr. Almodoris, are you on? Hi, Hubert. Yes, great, great. Uh, I know that thing, so I was like explain to my listeners, I said sometimes, you know, um, you know, we have to be very Hubert, patient. Hubert, can, with... can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can hear you. You're good, you're good, you're good. Okay, you're good. good. Um, I was just talking to my friend Joseph Roca, who's um, out of Brooklyn, New York, you know, and um, so if he you know, if he decides he wants to um, interject, you know, I just want you to know, you know, he's on the line as well. So, you know, but um, right. he's one of our he's No, one that's of our fine. I, it, it, is supposed, it is supposed to be a dialogue and discussion, so that's fine. Yeah. So well, I'm glad you were able to 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 overcome some of those difficulties and 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 finally join us, brother. So how are you doing? Everything is okay. I'm good. I'm good. It's a it's a nice it's a nice cool day, cool and warm day in Belize. <laughs> yeah, you you coming you're coming across loud and clear. Very good, very good. Okay, so let's okay, uh, for my listeners who are who are out there, you know, this is Dr. Lira Almandaris, and um, he's joining us live from Belize City. I may so also ha- I may also have on the line, and he will interject if he feel the need to, brother Joseph Roca. So um, please stay tuned. This is Hubert Pipersberg, and we're gonna um, I'll be talking to to Dr. Lira Almandares, and 
and in, in, and intermittently uh, Joseph Roca. So please, I ask you to please stay tuned. So, Dr. Mandaris, we before I, I, I get into it, um, let me ask you, as far as the Lee's development is concerned, how do you see from your from your since you're there on the ground, you moved back from the states, correct? No, 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 no. I've always been here. It's just that I've traveled to different countries, you know, for oh, business okay. and for work. But I've I've always been here on the ground. You know? oh, I mean, I've oh, always so been here in the Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, tell us a little bit about about how you, you know that journey went from you because I saw you have a PhD from Nova University, so I just assumed that you were living in the states. No, what happened is that when we did when we did our, our doctorate program, it was done in cohort farm, and so therefore the professors came from Nova Southeastern and, mm-hmm. oh, and no. lectured to a cohort. And when we were finished, when we did four years of coursework, then we had to do one year to do a dissertation, and our dissertation, you know, then that had to go through all the all the processes of the university well, when we were finished. Then we went to when we went for radiation. So more than you know, we spent most of our time here, except when we had to attend uh, different conferences or things like that to interact with fellow students. Oh, okay, okay. So you yeah. you 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 know, so you've been in Belize City all this time. I was on the wrong impression that you at some point. So having said that, what do you believe is the the, the relationship? What what do you believe should be the relationship between the diaspora, meaning the Belizeans who live outside of Belize? Vis-a-vis those like yourself who are, because uh, I know sometimes there's hostility there, and um, yeah, which which there shouldn't be. And and my immediate response to that is, one of the reasons why some Belizeans have left Belize was because of brain drain, lack of opportunities. One of the things we don't understand is that after you have, after after a person after a person has acquired knowledge, you know, knowledge knowledge is not fully utilized. If it is not developed further, then you don't develop your capital. Now sometimes you get experience as well, and so you develop that capital, which makes you more marketable. They say your human capital leads to your financial capital. In some cases, there are people who, because of a lack of opportunities, decided that they had to move. And what we don't realize that that's an investment that we did not get a return on. There was no return on investment. The countries that they moved to got the returns, or that capital was used to help to develop them almost free of cost. But that's what happened. No, there is supposed to be that great relationship, not a divide between the diaspora and those of us who are here, because it simply means that there is additional knowledge, there is additional capital, that we can all build on in order to grow this country. Because at the end of the day, the, the growth in human capital development, the utilization of it, the full utilization of it, will bring about greater growth in Belize. So, and there's a lot of sharing, experiences, etc., that will make it even, even better. But you see, when you live in a situation where opportunities came by in different ways, meaning it was not merited, then it creates its own problem. It should not be about jealousy. It should not be about the divide. But the, the question is, how do we bridge whatever, whatever little chasm we think we might have in order to grow this economy? Because there are so many people growing other economies when ours, ours continue to struggle or is not growing at the rate that it could. You know, I mean, 
because see, when you interact in these these you know in these blogs too, and um, you know with 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 the Belizeans who 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 were there who stayed there, there's always like this uh, this hostility towards the Belizeans who who like you said who went abroad and because of whatever reason doesn't reside in Belize. There's this there's this animosity or perceiver otherwise that's there. And I and I yeah. and I, I spent a lot of time on the ground in Belize lately. And I'm trying to understand why is this? Because um at the end of the day, um, Doctor Almendares, we're not you know, you and I are Belizean, we're not we're not competing I'm not there competing for a space or competing for a job or competing for something that that Belizeans who are there on the ground have. It's not about that. It's about see how we can plug into and, and plug into a need that we see and maybe help to argument what's already there. But many of the right. many of the people see it as if though like it's some sort of competition or some sort of threat to their to, to what they're trying well, to do. Well, you know, like they always say competition is not bad until it becomes dangerous. It's it's really a situation where one of the things we have to we have to understand is this. Many people believe that because they acquire an education, because they have a bachelor's degree, there is some kind of birthright. There is something called relevant education. And, and I would say not in terms of animosity. I would equate animosity with jealousy. It's not so much animosity sometimes. It's just jealousy because, remember, there is this thinking that if it's not foreign, if it's not foreign, it's not good. The other thing is people believe that those, those people who migrated, especially to the foreign art, that they went to live in countries where the streets are paved in gold, which is really not the case because there are people who acquired knowledge here and left and left and migrated and found out that the knowledge that they had could not even be applied in, in, in very low-level employment, if I may say that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes rather than coming back, but you see the other thing is there is learning and relearning and retraining. We must understand here in Belize that if you don't have the structure, the skills, and that's why I go back again to relevant education, we live in, globe, in an era of globalization, and if we do not make ourselves competitive, as a matter of fact, we signed on to CSME. The whole Treaty of Tragoramas, that whole thing was, went through all its phases. It was amended because we have to compete as a block. If we compete as a black, we're about 14 countries with 18 million people or so. The European Union is about 500 million people. So think You're talking about, about CARICOM, right? We're talking about CARICOM. Okay. The right. CARICOM single market and economy. And as you know, there has been, I think, well, a single market. I'm not the single economy is not working on. There's the CCG and all of that exists. But it does not mean that within CARICOM, even though, even though there were certain provisions or concessions that were made for what are referred to as LDCs or least developed countries of which Belize falls, you know, is a part. Mm-hmm. It meant then, for example, are we building our capital base? Are we building our human capital base? Too often the focus is on the physical asset and not the human asset. Not knowing that what you're doing is to create a divide because you're acquiring technology, and people don't have the skills to use it, so they become what is called structurally unemployed, and they become, you know, that whole level of frustration and things like that. But there should not be a divide. We have so many of our people outside who have gone to train, etc. Some of them don't want to come back. Some of them come to visit. 
and can make a contribution, we have to be all embracing. Too often we allow the great divider called politics to divide us. And of course, when people see a politician as their, as their meal ticket, then it creates further divide. So it's really a case where how can we benefit from each other? Not how do we benefit from divide. There's a great cost to that. And it's financial cost, human capital flight, financial capital flight. Remember, again, some other people went to live in the States so that they could send back money home. That has been drying up as well. That made a direct contribution to this country. There are many people here who depended on that. That's drying up. So what does it do? Either it creates further unemployment or it leads, it leads to greater poverty. And so these are the things that we have to address, but we have to address it from a macro perspective, and we have to address, address it as one people, as one believes. Mm-hmm. When you say structurally employed, uh, expand on that a little bit more for our listeners. This, this, this structural again. employment is like this. If you, if you know, in Belize here, and you, you watch the newspaper, because think about this. There, in economics, economics is about supply and demand. If the, demand, if, the supply, if the supply is greater than demand, then it means that it simply means that I, as the person who wants to go into the labor market to hire somebody, it simply means because I put out one vacancy and 150 people apply, I can then go through even further. Not only that diploma, show me a transcript. How did you perform? Were you just somebody who passed or somebody who actually acquired knowledge that you can actually come into my organization and work? When the vacancy is put out there, it says knowledge of computer is an asset. If you don't have a knowledge of computer and technology continues to change, con- continues to change and change because people are looking at the most efficient way to produce whatever they are producing because there is competition when it comes to the economics of every business. So you do not have the, com- the computer skill. It means that that's what is referred to as structurally. You are there you're a human resource, you have some knowledge, but you don't have the capital that I need for you to perform in my business to help me to achieve my goals. You then have to go and develop that skill. But too often what happens? Rather than being proactive, we are reactive. So we don't have the skills, and then other people come in with the skills who can immediately function. That's the whole idea of structural employment. Mm-hmm. Unemployment. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, you touch upon, you said about, you know, developing your human capital, which is arguably the lifeline of any country. But what I find in Belize is that, and I want you to comment on this, is the fact that uh, we tend to uh, pursue bottom line policies that, that at the end of the day, if we say that, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we we are suggesting that it's just. Um, we're going to develop the country at the at the cost of our human capital, and I want to ask you, based on your experience in Belize, why is that the prevalent mode in Belize that that, that the human capital is looked at as as just as a as a byproduct, but not as the main ingredient to drive any kind of economic, long-term economic development? There's several there's several things to it: egocentricity. You know, they said the egocentric person is the person when you look at the horse, you only see the horse's tail. That's one of the things that happened. And um, it's really a case for most people, for most people. Remember, it, when you develop the human capital, it's called an investment. 
that investment is in it. It's within you. And so, therefore, people cannot really see the immediate returns on that investment, not knowing that if you have the capital, it simply means that I can help you to achieve your returns on investment. No. If I invest on the New York Stock Exchange, I can immediately follow my stocks and see if the opening price is $5 and the closing price is $10. At the end of the day, I make $5 from, from every stock that I had purchased. I can see the immediate return on my investment, and I can see that my capital stock is increasing. But when it comes to, human, when it comes to the human person, the human person is normally seen as you have unemployment, shut your mouth. That's basically what it is. You have a job, so why are you complaining? No. There has to be continuous training unless, of course, if there is no vision, then that's not going to happen. If there is no vision, it's not going to happen. Some companies, some organizations are content with zero growth, point zero five, little minimal growth. Then. And the, the, the other thing is, the other thing is they say in human capital, it is really who peddle their capital better. In other words, the who, who do they go and market to? You know, sometimes they say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And so it creates a level of frustration. Imagine you spend $100,000 acquiring and building your knowledge, building your knowledge, not your capital. The human capital comes with experience when you apply the knowledge. When you apply that knowledge and you can see the outcome that comes from the application of that knowledge because we had goals, then the capital continues to develop, and then that capital becomes more marketable. And that's why I said human capital causes, cause and effect, causes your financial capital to grow. Because when it comes to human capital, you also have to look at things. What does it mean when you say that there is human capital development? It means there are wage differentials. It means that you are able, because of the level of development, to demand a greater level of income. In a country, health care is a part of that. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things that we have to look at. And there's a further expansion when it comes to human capital development. You have to look at the human development index of a country. How focused are we? And if I could just throw this in here. One of the models that I've been studying and a lot of people have been studying that has been so successful is Singapore. The Singapore model, what they did, between 1947 and 1968, something like that, they went through all the struggles. They're a developing nation. But their focus changed because they started to follow industrialized nations, look at their success, and built on that success so that you did not waste money on trial and error. So they built on that. They, they were able to forecast with a vision, we must compete for a little country that is lack natural resources. That country changed its focus and started to focus on engineering and started to focus on other areas. And that's a country that started to experience a 9.4% increase in their gross domestic product, the wealth of their nation. Mm-hmm. And if the wealth of a nation increase, if you average that wealth, among each individual in a country, it tells you how wealthy that country is, that per capita when you share it. So you can see what happens there, the whole cause and effect, the whole chain. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that I also observe, you know, is that, you know, we have this, like, this bottom line approach to our department. 
meaning that if it's not driven by foreign investment, it's not driven by uh, by. And this is the this is, seems to be our model where we just we we get devoured by by foreign investment and we give them the the you know the, the in other words we defer to them more so than we do to our local expertise. And so at the end of the day, you know the model goes by whereby we have this 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 thing where it's privatization at any cost, even it means sacrificing your human capital for the need of development. Now, for the life of me, I'm trying to understand. What's driving that, that mindset in Belize? Were they willing to, you eloquently expressing how we need to look at our human capital as an integral part of our long-term sustainable economic growth and development, but in Belize, it's almost like they turn it upside down and they do the exact opposite. And I'm trying to figure out what's driving that mindset. Well, you see, you see I, one of the terms that might be used here is colonialization. In some sense, in some sense, you know, when you don't think, there are many people, many times you don't think you're good enough, and somebody has to tell you, but you know what, there is some, there is some, there is some good in you, but I can help you to get the good in you if you give me most of you or all of you. And so it's, it's really a case where nothing is wrong with, because our country is not really a manufacturing country. The, the, the balance of trade between Belize and its trading partners, it's, it's, I don't want to use the word dismal, but we need to increase the export side of, 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 of growth. If we increase our exports, then it means at some point we can start to reduce our imports because that trade imbalance simply means that when you calculate, imagine you need so much money to go out to bring in goods, and our exports are lower, and so therefore, because it's lower, we then have to find ways. Luckily for us now, our major export, our number one export, is the tourism product. You know, that's our biggest export. But it has to be a case where privatization, if done well, except that most models have shown that there has not been much success when it comes to privatization. Privatization must be done in such a way that even after there is privatization, you do not sacrifice efficiency. You don't sacrifice the model of growth because if you do those kind of things, then it will fail. And to a large extent, research has shown that privatization has not been the most successful model in, in, in most countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to, let me just uh, touch on that a little bit more, because one of the things that, that Belize does is they, you know, they, they push that, you know, we call it a neoliberal principle, whereby, you know, it's, it is privatization at any cost, concerned only with the bottom line, and so this bottom line approach that's mostly favored by Washington, you know, leaves the vast majority marginalized, the poor working class majority that is marginalized and unable to participate in the political economy. And I'll give you a case in point. Uh, uh, you know, um, for example, we had, I, you know, I was talking to Wilma here recently and, you know, in our conversation, we, over $2 million uh, in oil exploration and exploitation in our country. We have still, we have nothing to show for it. The very, the very high weight that, that is used to transport the oil to a big creek down there, down south, is dilapidated. Dilapidated. I mean, so, and, yeah. and, and and now we have another 
supposedly that's reaching all in the Temash, the Sarsun Temash, and we're about to do the same thing again. And, and this is where I'm saying, where, where what, when are we going to start up? Let all human capital participate in that in, in, in the in development, as opposed to just giving it to the multinationals and believe just get like a you know a, a fraction of what we we could get. What's driving that mindset again? That's the thing that really. But but but, but, but there are two th- but there are two things there. There are two things there, and in 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 truth, when it comes to when it comes to production, you have to look at capital formation. That is the amount of capital that you accumulate in order to do any work. Some capital in the oil industry, in the oil industry, no and again you'll hear a little noise. I mean vehicles passing, but in the oil industry, there is a there's a situation where if you if you're gonna sacrifice, because remember, if I'm gonna spend five million to buy a piece of equipment, that's five million that I can't spend anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And if a country if a country does not have that kind of money, this is this is where then the negotiation changes in terms of who has the upper hand. The kind of technology to do the exploration for oil and even with the new find, because it's so deep down, the kind of equipment that is needed, now imagine, let us say it's 50 million per se. That's 50 million if you go and spend it there and then you find out that our, our, our crude is like the West Texas crude, which is separated. But all of that money that was spent, that company simply came in and said, okay, Belize, you don't have the money to spend on the equipment. I can spend it, and I will take the risk because there is risk. So I will take the risk and try to see what I find underneath it. But the production sharing agreement is going to benefit me more than it benefits your country. And so if the sharing was 93.7 in favor of that explorer that's basically what happens i think for us to get more money we had to increase taxation on the output we also had to look at the threshold that was set based on price per barrel in the world market and so the 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 kind of equipment after they leave from here it's not like you can take that equipment and decide you can use it to produce something else so it's not adaptable and that's a cost in economics is referred to as sunk cost it's up mm-hmm. to you now to produce. And so Belize not having, if the government had that kind of money, then they would not have to try to find a partner to go and explore to find whatever might be 50, 50 million barrels that are down there. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. So the, the other thing about that, though, is that whenever, whenever you're going to have these companies coming in, in other parts of the world, those contractual arrangements will include several things. A transfer of technology, and you must develop my human capital. Because at some point in time, a Belizean then becomes in charge. Well, that has happened with BME. There's a Belizean there now as CEO. But those are some of the things, those are some of the, those are some of the challenges that we face in terms, of, in terms of the availability of the financial capital. But we must find the opportunity find the money to develop our universities, our places of learning, so that the education becomes more relevant. If you're going to turn out 100 people with the same training, with the same diploma, and none of them have this, none of them has the skill to function immediately, see what has happened here. Mm-hmm. Each one of them has invested so much, or their parents have, 
and now they can't really perform. And then you end up now with another term. They become underemployed. You have countries where you have, for example, in New York, for different reasons, there are people who might have a PhD and driving a yellow cab. And they will only tell you that when you become a passenger. So it's really a case now we have to look at the educational system. What are the needs not only locally, but we have to look at global competitiveness. And once you look at global competitiveness, then it means we will make those investments. The focus has been in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, or that's where we're supposed to be going. We have to look at those areas. Otherwise, we're into the future. We will still then have to be importing that kind of capital. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this, Dr. Almandares. For those of you listening, uh, uh, you're listening to Dr. Lira Almandares. He's uh, coming live from Belize City. I'm here with Pipersburg here in Los Angeles. Um, if you want to listen to the show, you can always use the Skype BTR listener 028, or you can call in 714-242-6119. Um, okay, you mentioned something about partnership within CARCOM and, and, and so forth. Okay, you, you have, we have a, a partner in Venezuela that has that 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 that, that has a history and experience in oil exploration and and, and exploiting oil out of the and fossil fuel out of the ground. Why is it that we don't, you know, we partnered Petro Caribe, they give us subsidized oil, but yet and still right. uh, we don't really utilize that expertise because I'm saying you don't necessarily have to bring in Exxon or Mobil or or Shell to explore. Why don't we? you know, get in common uh, agreements with, 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 with a friendly nation such as that that will benefit, that will do something for the, to, 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 that will benefit the, the uh, belief in the long term. Why but there's a lot of benefits. Do that? But Hubert, there's a lot of benefits. I mean, the thing is, if you, if you really think about it, the amount of money I heard recently on the news that has been generated through that kind of relationship is some $190 million. The, the only question is, is that $190 million that's so it's spent? Is, was, there a priori- was there a priority list in terms of how the, that wealth accumulation? I understand that the National Bank was established. As a matter of fact, the initial financing came from the Petro-Caribe funds, the some $20 million, I believe, for the National Bank. The National Bank is supposed to serve um, you know, as a means of getting people to acquire some of, the, some of the very basic needs, the basic assets that they should have at lower interest rates. If that is something that works, okay, that's a, that's a benefit from it. Uh, in terms of, if in term, I, don't know, I don't know what part of it, or I don't know about a breakdown of the $190 million, whether it's put in education and, and things like that, but I know that there has been, there has been that kind of benefit. Uh, the, 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 the relationship that exists means indeed that we can get, uh, you know, we, we can import or get oil in here much, much cheaper. Uh, it goes on the market. There must be some form of taxes or whatever that's levied, and that's what helps to build that fund. The, the only question is whether or not, and I believe, and, I, and probably they do, I'm not privy to that, that there is some prioritized list where funds like that, as a matter of fact, I believe I heard recently, as you know, one of the big albatross around our neck is that thing called a super bond. Mm-hmm. And I understand that from the news that some of those funds in the future can be used to buy back some of that debt from, from, from those bondholders. 
which would reduce the amount of external debt that we really have outside there, and that because that continues to create a burden on us. Mm-hmm. All these payments, of course, they're, we're still going through a holiday, I believe, until we start to make uh, in payments. I think in 2017, I think, I right. think 2017, until we start Bond, correct? In 2017 is when the coupon in, is. Yeah, uh, and, and remember, there is no such thing called a super bond. Mm-hmm. You have bonds and different mm-hmm. kinds of bonds, but that one was coined for us because remember one of the things that happened is that you started to exchange one debt for another because the terms had changed, and so therefore... You know, you just, it just became a new debt and a new debt and, you know, buying it and changing it and things like that. But that's one of the big burdens that we have. You know, that's one of the big burdens that we have. In real life, in real life, nothing is wrong with acquiring debt because you, you finance what you do, even building and studying. You finance it through, through debt because you believe that that debt at some point in the future will become equity. In other words, it becomes positive money. You see? So... If you're, if you're paying, 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 but did we really see, you know, was there, was, was there tangible, touchable, visible benefits of that almost $1 billion? You see, so, mm-hmm. but, but like I said, I understand that as this wealth continues to occur, this fund continues to increase, is that some of that funds might be used to buy back some of those, some of those debts. Mm-hmm. The thing about it, too, I mean, you know the, the paradox of this is, you know, the, the the political business elite in that country has, for the most part, the narrative has been we're destitute, we lack resources, we, you know, that's why we underdeveloped. But paradoxically, when you look at us, you know, we can export over two billion dollars in in oil revenue, you know, from natural resources. It tells a different narrative. It's telling us that you know we are being we are being led to believe a narrative of dependency and Hand, hands out kind of thing, as opposed to like you, you know, like, like you're discussing now, like we're discussing now, you know, engaging a human human capital for proper development, and also the thing I, you know, I, I, in terms of the debt that you're talking about, there's a direct correlation between between the debt and the GDP. So let's say for example you have a GDP of over 100 percent, which we have. That means for every dollar you earn, you have zero to invest into. You know, to for services owed to people like uh, bridging, construction, repair, infrastructure development, right. uh, healthcare, education. So, the, again, it goes back to what you're saying about that, where we, you know, we 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 we, we push our human capital to the to the side for the sake of, to me, short-sighted gains, because in the long term, this is not sustainable, and you you're going to go back again to these foreign donors and lenders. With cap in hand, like you were saying, to buy back the debt, because we talk, you know, we talking for your kids, my kids, their kids, we talking about a debt that we're going to be in alabatras around the neck for maybe another hundred years, yes. at least. I, I, as a matter of fact, if, if you know, sorry, but as a matter of fact, you know, one of the things they say is a country can never go bankrupt. All that happens is the cost of living becomes more expensive, mm-hmm. and so as you as you rightly mentioned, into the future, the unborn. I used to like to say this to my economic students. The unborn, even yours, will be born with a piece of paper saying you owe so much. Because that very same debt, that same very debt, there's a per capita debt as well, meaning I'll take the debt and share it among all of you. Mm-hmm. The cost of living, talk to our grandparents, talk to the older people, yes, it's true. The question is whether or not are we producing more 
or it's just that price got more, the things got more expensive. It's the latter. Things have become more expensive. Now you're talking about the debt and things like that, and there was a year when there was a zero, there was a negative 0.7 or a 0.7 growth in the GDP. Now if there's a 0.7 percent growth in GDP, and all, all other things, all other things grew, then that creates its own problem. Mm-hmm. All right, because then you end up, you end up with these, with these gaps, whether they are. You call them either recessionary gaps or you call them inflationary gaps, and basically what it means is we're short of funds. We're short of funds. And you have to find new ways of injecting money into the economy in order for it to grow. But we must understand as well that there has to be a strong public-private partnership. There's public goods and there's private goods. The Mm -hmm. private sector. Will not will not be making a lot of investment in some of the public goods that has to be provided. So there has to be this strong partnership for us for us to come up with ideas, innovative ideas, to move this country forward. Now you mentioned you mentioned resource. Whenever we talk about resource in economics, you talk about land, labor, capital, and entrepreneurship. Let's assume that the entrepreneurship is talking about human resource. If the labor force, that is the number of people who are able to work, is 100,000, let's say, that's your labor force. Every person in that 100,000 is a human resource. It's the development of the resource that will make that resource able to make a contribution. But that's the resource that we keep saying here that is bypassed because many in many organizations they might actually tell you that you see that laser printer over there? It costs us ten thousand dollars. It's more important than you, even if it's not said literally like that. So the paradigm the paradigm has to be shifted. But for all of that to happen, the overriding thing or overarching thing that has to be mentioned here is leadership. Leadership is that force that we look at it from a visionary perspective and know where we want to go because we know where we were. We know where we are, but where do we want to go? And the question is whether we are going to take that direction, and I'm talking here generally speaking, with a dinosaur or a butterfly. The dinosaur is prehistoric. The butterfly goes through complete metamorphosis. So we need to morph, and we need to continue to morph because with all the challenges we face, there will, be, there will be steps in the way, there will be little things in the way, but it's really a question of strategically. How do we restructure, go back and revisit our strategy, never being afraid to say we have failed, but don't wait until the failure is so much that you're ready to go six feet. It's really a case where we go back, unabashed, unashamed to say we need to revisit this. Why? Because we're looking at the growth of this country, not only for its present generation, but its future generation. That has to be the focus. You know, um, you mentioned one of the things that one of our favorite, you know, things that we do believe is tourism. And I, as, a, as a rule, I don't, have a, I don't have an issue with, you know, making tourism. But tourism... 
as you well know, Dr. Almandaris, cannot be the engine that drives your economy because because of the international linkages. So, in short, what's what's happening? The money comes in, but it goes back out to foreign investors, and so I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't want to use that as my preferred vehicle for sustaining economic development. Uh, so I'm thinking without needed structural reform to the industry, we will continue to be a nation of trade holders. And yet and still, we, I'm not saying that tourism is wrong. I'm merely suggesting that, um, it, again, it needs to be more local-based. W- would you agree? Uh, not, well, you'd have to qualify what you mean by local-based. But let me just respond to the whole tourism thing. I remember that when tourism became, you know, suddenly tourism, you know, removed the shells from our eyes, it was some some foreign consultants, I believe, and there goes the foreign word. It's not like I don't like foreigners. But all I'm saying is that we have that capital right here, and the capital is cheaper too and has a better understanding of what's going on. And so it's really a case where the projected growth in tourism was 20% or so. The research show, and the facts substantiated that, that the growth was... 100% 100% more than what was projected. Now think about this. Tourism has a lot of impact on the infrastructure of the country because you go to Altonha, those streets, it means you now it's more traffic. It means that it means that Belize City, for example, there should be further investments because you know the whole crime situation, you know, and things like that. But tourism universally, universally has shown that it really does contribute greatly to GDP. Now, I'm not saying that it should be the thing that we consider the do-or-die situation for us, but it's really our number one export industry. Even the old ones, even the, not the old ones, but the other ones, citrus and banana and shrimp or whatever, yes, they bring in, but if you look and you break down GDP, you will see the percentage of tourism. Now, what has to happen here? When we continue to see that kind of growth, it simply meant that people, it simply meant education, the educational system has to say, you know what, let's partner. Let's partner with the private sector. Let's partner with the business sector. Let's develop. It doesn't have to be a bachelor's degree. Everybody does not really need a degree. Some of the best degree, are best. some of the best thinkers never earn the degree. And so the situation is this. You, what you do is to create a situation, a knowledge base, where these people can actually function within this new, within this new di- dimension. And because they can function, remember now, wealth creation, unemployment creation is a big thing because it means that everybody now has more money in their pockets to spend. And if there's more money in the pocket to spend from the you know, from the, from the whatever worker you want, domestic worker, whatever it might be. That in itself, once you have more money, right, because the largest component when it comes to the whole approach to the GDP from the expenditure side is consumption. And if you can increase consumption, then it means you have less people who don't have. And that in a sense, in a way, can help to reduce I don't believe that you can totally eradicate. The Millennium Development Goals goal once is eradication of poverty. That's not realistic. When in the next number of years, 2050, the world's population will double. Right now it's about $7 billion. 
But just focusing on belief, it means you have created more opportunities and less dependency on the public purse. People, mm-hmm. people now develop that entrepreneurial skill, create greater independence rather than dependence. Yeah, uh, I mean, when I says, look, I'm, uh, the, uh, the model, I, uh, let, let me qualify it then, because I don't want people to think, oh, I'm against tourism because I'm not. What I'm suggesting is that unless it's directed towards, you know, the kind of benefit where you can see tangible benefits, if it's just going to be where, like, the Bahamas model or, you know, those models came on where we're just a, a playground for foreign for, for for foreign nationals and the wealth is created, yes, but it's, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really go into developing infrastructure. You still have, or, yeah. or, you know, I'm talking about uh, what I would like to see. Uh, the two you're talking about were ta- you're talking about being repatriated rather than circulated domestically. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. That, that, I guess, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, and I, I don't see that occurring. Yes, we have hundreds of people visiting and spending all kinds of monies, but for the most part, we, it doesn't have any direct impact other than, you know, on the GDP. Yes, it does, but it doesn't have any direct impact on, an act, you know, on, the, on the actual development of the country in terms of health care, education, affordable housing, and infrastructure development. So that is why I'd like to see us take a look at tourism and see how we can bridge that international linkages without disturbing it or apparently as though we we try to dissuade, you know, investors from investing, you know, in the economy, you know? Well, you see, the thing is that the other part, well, you know, one of the things, for example, FDI, foreign direct investment, is is one one of those, you know, large, one of those components, one of those things that, we do rely on. My only thing is is that if we are going to encourage foreign, foreign direct investment, it does not necessarily mean that you say here is the key to the country. It has to be a case where, yes, you want to invest, but then it simply means that you want to invest here because you have done all the necessary uh, due diligence that you need to do. You have done your pest analysis. You have done your look at the political system, look at the economic system, look at the social system, look at technology. Those are the things that you look at. And then when you decide now that you can come in, yes, you do get some concessions, but it doesn't mean they give you the, 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 the bath water, the baby, and everything else in it. But it has to be a case where, it has to be a case where when those arrangements are made, the long-term, the long-term impact of it has to be the development of this country. Because we have had companies that came into this country without a doubt, got 20 years tax holidays, they became profitable in two years, and why do you need to wait for 20 years? The moment you're reaching that 20 years, you have to start to pay tax and help to grow this economy or throw some, throw some money into the economy. That's when you decide that I can leave because I'm already profitable. So it has to be that concessionary, there, must, there will be some concessions because you want them to invest, but the concessions must be established in such a way there must be equity, there must be fairness, there must be a committee that sits on it and that committee, no member of that committee, must have any self-interest in any project that's going to be invested in to make sure that, again, the country benefits, not individuals. Because then what happens is that the, smaller, the group of individuals that benefit keep getting smaller and smaller. No the social welfare of a country, 
the life expectancy of a country, the reduction in infant mortality, income and wage because of you have invested in yourselves, those are the kind of things, those are the indicators that international agencies will look at to see whether or not our model is a model of success. Indeed, yes. Yes, uh, those are the indicators. Um, Dr. Mandaris, let's take a break for a minute. Uh, we've been, we have been doing all, you know, this is an excellent okay. discussion, and, you know, we're doing, a, you know, we are really, really disseminating a lot of information, you know, and um, yeah, let's just catch our breath for a minute. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come right back. And you, 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 you have time for another segment, correct? Yes, I'm here. All right, great, brother. You coming I'll, across I'll, live. I'll, 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 I'll try to lunch to you. <laughs> All right, then. Good, 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 good. <laughs> You're coming across live on care, Dr. Amandaris. I love it. So, so we're going to take a little break, and we'll be, we'll be right back, okay? Okay.
In some cases, education is free of almost up to a master's degree. Think about the disadvantage that we face because, you know, a country, uh, there is no, in terms of free education, but of course I must pick up in here and say there is no free lunch. Mm-hmm. But it's really a case where we must, and that's what I'm saying, education has to be relevant. Even within CARICOM, remember under CARICOM, under CSME, it says there's a free movement of capital and goods, goods and services and things like that. If there was to be a mass exodus from one of these nations, let us say Jamaica, Trinidad, or Barbados, which are our three um, MDCs, or most, you know, most, we are the more developed countries under CSME. Think about that. Can we really compete? Can our human capital? Now the question is, do we set up protectionism? Do we protect? You can't say that the market is open and free, but then we're, you know, we have to be protecting our industries because of the fact that, because of the fact that any, you know, if we were to have that kind of exodus, then it would really affect us. So it's really a case, like I said, I go right back or as, you, as we both have been saying, to the development of our people. Acquiring knowledge is one thing, but a mind is not only a terrible thing to waste. An underdeveloped or undeveloped mind is even worse. And so it's a case where they educate our system. Our system, there has to be a continuous scrutiny. We have to put the mechanisms in place. We have to put everything in place to make sure that what we're putting out there, the product, every student that graduates from a university, a high school, tertiary level institution, is a product. And the product that you put out there cannot product compete with other products. It can't be a case where it's about acquiring an education. It's about acquiring some kind of knowledge so that we can see the literacy rate or so many people are graduating because the, the, the transition, that transition from primary school to high school, it's still a problem. Not everybody who comes out of primary school ends up in a high school, and so the attrition continues up to the tertiary level. In some nations, now I go back to the Millennium Development Goals, and it's not like I'm attacking them because the question is what happens after 2015 when those goals sort of Mm-hmm. I think we may have lost um, Dr. Maldar uh, on, on the Skype link. So um, let's see um, if we can... Uh, getting back because again I say this is part of the frustration when I um you know when I do uh shows with believe because sometimes you know we, we go through this process where you know where sometimes the link is not as great and um this is one of those instances where we lost him so let's see if we can reconnect with him you know with with with, with Skype again. Um I think the call just dropped again. You know, I said it's you know we I'm not I'm not in control of technology, and I most of the guests that I try to get directly from Belize sometimes this is what occurs with you know with the bandwidth speed and all that and all that uh, and all and all that. So I think I might have lost Dr. Almandaris, but um, I'll see if he can um, 
if we you know if we can reestablish with him. But um, we are having an excellent com- uh, conversation, and um, it, the call just dropped. And again, this is part of the um, the frustration of dealing with, with you know when you deal with Belize and you know in terms of the technology. And I'm not criticizing them for that, but that's just the reality. Every time I have a guest from Belize, I pray that it goes good because you know the Skype link last we were having an excellent link he was very clear one of the best links i've had in a long time but um the call just dropped so uh, it's a little bit frustrating but um joseph are you on the line okay joseph roca is not there also um i hope uh, if dr almondaris is listening please call back because it's too important of a conversation just let it be like that, but um, um, maybe we can call him out. See, I'll see what happened. See if he can call back. The call just dropped, you know. So maybe you'll call back and we can establish those connection again. But um, you know, a lot of things that we were talking about with, with, with just now is is you know it's very crucial, you know, um, because. You were telling me? Yes, 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 yes. He's back. Good, good. I think what happened. I was just explaining to the to the guest, Dr. Alandaris, you know, with, to my guest that uh, you know, the, the Skype link sometimes coming on there. But you're back, right? Good, good. Uh, um, um, please continue. Okay, I, I'm not sure what was the last thing because I started to hear as if somebody was calling in or something. Yeah, but, no. What we we you're making a connection between, you know. Um, with education and how, you know, what I you disagree so yeah. Right, mm-hmm. the, the, the relevance. Uh, it, has mm-hmm. to be, it has to be a case where the architects of our educational system has to see, can you hear me, Hubert? Yes, yes, you're good. You, you're okay. clear, brother, you're clear. All right, because I'm hearing the, you know, the backgrounds, the gra- okay, but... No, you sound good, you're good, you're good. Okay, the, the architects of our educational system, it has to be, it has to be looked at over the next 20 years, and it has to look at the competitiveness of the product that we put out. Each student becomes a product. We have to remember that. I don't know if this was said before before we lost the last contact. That transition from primary to secondary to tertiary, it reduces because by attrition, because of the lack of the lack of finances or something else, not everybody then continues. And so, what happens to that percentage from primary school? that does not go on. The other side of this thing, because we have to make sure that not everybody, not everybody, not everybody is, in, not everybody is an academic or wants to be involved in academics. And so it means that we can also continue to develop that resource. And that is why we have the IT vets, the technical and vocational educational, where you can give them skills for such a time and they then can participate in the whole labor force and participate in the country's development. So that, that is important and that is a good move. The University of Belize, which is the national university, has been around since 2000, but of course it changed, it changed its name and took out the C from University College of Belize to University of Belize, so it has been around since 1986 or something like that. It's, it's really a case where if we look at its transition, it's whether or not, it's whether or not we're moving in the direction where the national university truly serves one, 
the domestic needs because you can do needs assessment to see where the domestic needs are being met and whether whether when these students these product these people make that transition in in a more globalized competitive arena can we compete you see can we compete so there are sacrifices that have to be made one of the avenues of growth has to be the educational system whether or not it requires additional investment because you can't raise tuition that's another thing that becomes its own problem education is not cheap but education is also not free in our country and so the students themselves have to understand that i am making an investment in me it is up to me to make sure that i get the greatest return on that investment and i can compete globally i can't just walk out after graduation and say here i have a diploma now offer me a job you must give me a job that's not how it works yeah uh, you know i think one of the things with our educational system is that you know we, we you know we and i've had this discussion with my good friend parker smith on many occasions because you know he you know, he has a degree from UWI. He had two masters that, that yeah. master's degree from UWI. And I don't yeah, have any, I don't us, have an issue. Both of us are UWI graduates. Yeah, you guys are uh, alumni from UWI, you know. And I'm always teasing you. I said, man, you know, I said, what is what is going on with UWI that, you know, they produce some of, some of the brightest minds. They send them back to uh, to um to the host countries or to the to the respective countries. And, um, you know, these people just come back and plug into, into the... Uh, into whatever system that's there, into the status quo, without even questioning or even asking questions or, you know, wondering yeah. why is it that, you know, uh, what, is it, what, what seems to be the issue with critical thinking? Well, you know, now, you're, now, you're touching, now you're, touching, you're touching that area that I, you know, really, that's one of the things that has now become my vision, my drive, my focus. The... the as a matter of fact, my, my doctoral dissertation is on critical thinking. I was looking at it from a perspective, of course, of economics, because one of the things you find out is that when it comes to the cognitive domain, domain that intelligence domain, you find out that most people are able to reproduce knowledge, but too often we have a problem creating new knowledge. And so it's a case where if we are able to think, but one of the problems we face, and, and I will just throw these terminologies out there, is that you have students who have intellectual curiosity. You have employees that have intellectual curiosity, but the employers and some of the teachers, and I'm one of them, I teach on a part-time basis, they lack intellectual humility. And remember the old saying, he who knows what that he knows not is a fool. And so there are people who know that they don't know, but instead of saying, I need to go and interrogate, I need to go and investigate, I need to develop myself, no. It becomes a case where you hold the organization ransom, you hold the employees in that organization as prisoners, and you basically say, when you need an opinion, I'll give it to you. Rather than be a leader, Give employees tasks, yes, and allow them to fail because it's true failure comes success. They always say, show me a man who has never failed, and I'll show you a man who has never tried. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that our people can think beyond, go beyond the knowledge. 
It has to be about being able to synthesize, create, evaluate, accept other people's ideas and things like that, and knowing that if we allow people to talk, if we allow people to participate, we can build consensus and come up with some of the best ideas you can think about, best innovative ideas for growth for this country. Yeah, I think what you know. I want to come back to something that you know um, that that I was talking about just before. I want to touch on this again because what I meant, I didn't necessarily mean that they gave up. You know, we were talking about giving up the right. What I observe is that the fact that um that there's there seems to be some sort of distortion of national perspective and priorities, priorities, and increased pressure to pursue instead policies that policies that are largely developed from outside. And I think that is what I meant when I say that we, you know, in a way, by de facto, we have given up our rights to a lot of these. Uh, and because, for example, many local agencies and NGOs uh, have become partners in mutual dependency creation, and some of them are still wrapping up part-time shifts. So I'm saying if we have the, uh, a, new, a, a national university. Why is that university intricately and explicitly involved in creating the, cap- the human capital that we are discussing? to directly make inroads into the sustainable development of our country. It seems right. to be done in a situation where, you know, yes, we have a national university, but where is it when it comes to, where, is it, where, where are experts when it comes to oil exploration? Where are the experts when it comes to, you know, in, um, in taking care of the water resources of that country, energy resources? Where are the experts right. coming out of that university? Right. right. And, and you're right, and that's, I, that's why I kept using the word relevant. But you see, the thing, is, the thing is, we must be proactive rather than reactive. We saw a world changing. We saw globalization usurping us. It was really a case where, again, countries like ours, there had to be classes, classes in this whole transition from the WTO, the World Trade Organization, you know, all of these different organizations. There had to be classes to make sure that countries like ours and, and developing nations, had to we had to make sure they had to make sure that the developed nations did not take advantage in a sense of the developing nations now coming to our university we have a population estimated around 345 million people it is it is really a case where the university the university like i was talking about partnership okay now that you know that we have found oil, etc. as you just like Michael said. There has to be a case where it does not have to be a bachelor's degree. It could be a semester program, a semester course, some course that accelerated to make sure that the skills are acquired so that these people can compete, join the labor force. And when you join the labor force, you reduce unemployment, you reduce dependency again on the, on, on the person public purse, but it has to come with a vision. The university has a board. That university, that board's responsibility is to make sure that they are the vehicle and that there are areas that, that the university survives long after their tenure, but that the product that we are putting out, and UB has trans- transitioned because at first it was focused solely on business. Okay, there has been some diversity. All it needs now, but of course, as you know, Hubert, the big thing here, that factor that we can't forget, is cost. 
but it's mm-hmm. better to put out less students and focus on making sure that there's the enabling environment. It's better to put out less students who can compete rather than putting out a whole lot of generic students or homogeneous students who really can compete. Mm-hmm. Well, because you know, because when you look at it, the reason why I and I, I don't want to be picking on the university or the, or the educational system in Belize, but it's almost like a situation whereby, you know, Belizean development has not been guided by any coherent national development strategy. You know, yes, I can I know I've seen five-year development plans. You know, those were but those were like merely external back external back half big hodgepodge kind of exercise with no political will. And even if we look at okay. I, I was looking at let's say let's say look at the P, the PSC result just as an indicator of say you know um, the, where we are. I'm going to use it, uh, the stats there. We 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 saw where 53 percent uh, you know pass rate in in in, in language arts. And I'm thinking and I well there are other factors there. There are other factors why that's the case. But it's an indicator right. that you know if we can't even the, the point I'm making here is that. And I want you to comment on this. Our educational system doesn't seem to be fitting, like you said, not providing that relevant structure to make us, like, say, 10 years from now, produce students who can have a direct impact in the development of our country. Well, you know, it, the, 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 when we talk about the educational system, of course, we, we should be talking about from preschool. Yeah, I don't want to get too generalized about it yet, but, you know. Yeah, from preschool to tertiary. It simply means, because remember now, a house that is built on sand will not stand. So it's really a case where, foundationally, there are certain skills and knowledge that should be acquired at the very lower levels. You build on the foundation because you do have students who transition, transition, and transition. And foundationally, grammatically and mechanically in mathematics, they can't function because they were simply told from very early on, this is how you do it, this is how you solve a math problem. And if you try to question it, then the teacher might get upset as well. So it simply means that from that very age, from the very early age, students should be, lear- should be learning how to, how to think how to put things together. And so they grow up with that without fear, because sometimes, remember, I like to use my good friend, and I don't, he's not a friend of mine, Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. Einstein was thought of to be crazy. When he died and they did, the, they did the analysis of his brain, he had a different brain. But there are children in school, there are people in school sometimes as well, who are very bright but they're not allowed to think because the very teacher is afraid to allow that teacher to think because the teacher's weakness becomes exposed. So it has to be a case now where curriculum, the curriculum has to be developed in such a way that the outcome, the outcome has to be learning for the student, but that curriculum that is set up has to be done in such a way that these people, the students have the foundation in which to function. Now, when you get to the tertiary levels, tertiary level, it simply means that the education, there must be an injection of things, skills, and knowledge that will allow them to function. I know you mentioned something about political will, and that's what I'm saying. It has to be a case where 
whenever, whenever an election is over, politicians' focus cannot be on winning the next election. It has to be to satisfy a mandate for the development of this country. Because you asked to be a servant, you did not ask to be served. Yeah, and, and see, and the, the thing about it too, like, you know, coming back to it, because you know, let's say you have a situation where you have, a, you know, we have our school system where, okay, fine, from the preschool to, to, you know, we go from preschool to the primary level, then you go to the, to 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 higher education to a, to the higher level where you you, right. know, you want to have a degree, and I was talking to a, fr- a friend of mine when I was in Belize, and he's saying that he was. Um, uh, one of the only individuals who was involved in, in conservation <laughs> that that had knew anything about conservation, and I was saying yeah. that's that's kind of strange, Dr. Amandaris. I mean, here's a country that that that, that, that reeks of in resources that needs to be conserved and needs to be you know developed and preserved, and we don't have right. that, that expertise. And and that's very true because as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, uh, just coincidentally. I, I, you know, I've been asked to teach a course called Environmental Economics. And this is really, think about this, that people believe, and I don't want to sound controversial here, people believe that the environment should not be touched. But it's really a case where whenever you're going to do that, or if you're going to do that, then you have to do cost-benefit analysis in order for a country to grow where you talk about conservation, and what I'm saying here is almost diametrically opposed to conservation. But it's really, it's a case where, it's a case where what's the economics of it? If you do the benefit-cost analysis, if you're going to interrupt the environment in any way, will the benefit to the country exceed the cost of interrupting the environment? And that is why, of course, you go to all these you know, EIAs and things like that, the impact assessments and things that have to see what would be the impact on, on the environment. Mm-hmm. But it is very true when it, comes to, when it comes to certain areas. But I believe that there has, because I know, for example, I serve as the financial, finance expert on the Protected Areas Conservation Trust. And as far as I know, there are quite a number of people who understand and are involved in conservation, whether or not they do not have, whether or not they have a formal degree or something like that. But I know there are a number of people who have been involved in that. But like I said, there are these areas like environmental economics, natural resource economics, and at the end of the day, they said, yes, we are rich in natural resources. But if, if I remember clearly, about 40, over 40 percent of our land is protected. And if over 5% of our land is protected, then primarily then, if its primary use then is for experiential tourism, is where the new focus of the WTO is, then it simply means people can visit there. But then, should those resources, fully understanding, fully understanding the resources, what then should we do? Well, I mean... I, I I I hear you, and I don't. And I'm not opposed to development, but I think that we should try to live in 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 harmony with the environment because I think oftentimes yes. what occur is that um, let's take, let's 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 go down to the Timash Reserve there in, in down south. 
Uh, Will Mejia told me that they have an oil platform that's dangerous to close to the river. And you all know when you when you exploding fossil fuel, that you know the variable is going to be a runoff and and yeah. you know poison out the river at some point. So there's a there's this there's this cost benefit analysis, yes. But I believe that you should always try to provide the greatest good for the greatest number, as far as the yes. public policy is concerned. Yes. But where I draw the line is if you're just going to blatantly exploit the environment. We don't even trying to, uh, you know, put something back into it to 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 preserve it to make it, for the, you know, in other words, I'm not short term gain for you know at the expense of of, of long term cost. To me, is not. I don't. You know, I, um, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And that's what I was saying is that even if you are going to, even if there's going to be you know that kind of investment, it should not be an overnight process. There have to be. There has to be all the mechanisms in place. In other words, somebody that objectively looked at that looks at that project and decided, you know what, there is greater cost if this project was to be implemented than it would benefit the country, which is what you're saying. I totally agree with that. All I'm saying all I'm saying here as well is that should we just I'm not saying that you should not just continue to conserve. And I'm not saying that you go and you you destroy because sometimes you have we have seen that happen here. But think about this. One example. We are very dependent on fossil fuels, that's true. Of course there's a movement towards renewable energy. But renewable energy technology can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Hydro, water, hydro is a re- is renewable energy. Solar is renewable energy. But think about Think because one of the things you have to look at here, Hubert, is that anything you're going to do, X, will cause Y, Z, or whatever. Indeed. The question is whether or not it will be a positive externality or a negative externality. If a project is implemented and it benefits people positively, then it should go. But if you're going to look at a project and it's going to create negative externality, meaning people will be, dis- people will be affected, their lives will change, and you take away this source of existence, then that creates a lot of problems. And that's what I'm saying. Go to the dam, for example. We import something like 50% of electricity from Mexico through CFE. When it rains for us, and because you have those three dams up there, one, you know, Somaka's reservoir and things like that, it means that you can continue to, and hydroelectricity is cheaper. So, these are the things we have to look at. That was a case where they touched the environment because remember now, if you, you change the way a, a river operates, you see, so that mm-hmm. was one of those things that happened. And so these are the things that, you know, that we have to look at because remember we are, we are not a manufacturing country. The population of Belize continues to grow about 3% per annum on average. Output in this country goes for less than that. It simply means there's a gap between the number of people who want the resources that are out there, and all that will do is because that's a deficit, it's going to create poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and see, I mean, you're right about that because see, look, we talk about renewable energy sources in our country, and you know, like for example, solar, but it's cost prohibitive because because we, you know, nobody, you know, this is where you're talking about private good because, um, right. If you can have some sort of public-private partnership to develop solar resources, you know, to, to the, that, that would that would benefit all of us. But 
we don't we seem reluctant to 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 want to invest in this technology. Or we always look at it. Oh, it has to come from foreign. Why is it that we can't develop these things? This is what me and Dr. Bouwa was talking about. You know, I want the jobs you could create by just developing a local private partnership, public private partnership for solar technology. Right. You know. Well, it it, it is very true. The the thing is, and remember that that solar energy. We live in the tropics. Solar energy is is free. It's only a matter of finding a way to harness it so that that same energy can be redistributed into people's homes and it becomes much cheaper. The other thing, and you're right, because remember, all you have to look at here is the initial investment. As a matter of fact, I think the Belmopan campus of the University of Belize is energized through solar, through a JICA, Jamaica, a Japanese project. But it's really a case where, yes, you make the initial investment, and after that, all you need is maintenance costs, which has to do with, 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 with the, the benefits then will far exceed the costs in the long run. So those are the things that we have to do. But I know that I know that we are looking at renewable technology. As a matter of fact, biomass, we get energy through, through Belkogen. That can be used. People use the solid waste. You know, we have that solid waste project. At some point in time, that very, that very site where they dump all this waste, that can then be used to convert itself, you know, into energy. So it's really a case of, like, again, we go back to priorities. Because there's a greater dependency on energy, it simply means that, yes, we have to find new sources and reduce our dependency. As a matter of fact, I heard recently that the... The dependency on power from Mexico has probably gone from 50% to 20%. Well, well, that's a good thing. I mean, because there's a direct, there's a direct uh, correlation between the, the cost of doing business and energy. Because let's say, for example, if we just uh, at the price of a gallon of diesel or, or fuel in Belize, like around 13 to $15. Now, if we could cut that in, if we could cut that in half, Exponentially, yeah. you know, we we talk about a major boost to the economy of that country. It will, it will, it will. Because I mean, people, it, it, it does, it yeah. does, it will do that. Because you see, the thing is, the thing is, indeed, we live we live in a society now where uh, some means of transport is no longer a luxury. And yes, we are very dependent on you know fossil fuels. We are very dependent on different sources of energy. As a matter of fact, these days, and remember, even even what we're using here, even what we're using, I'm using my laptop. I don't know what you're using. I'm for using, keep, I'm using a desktop. I mean, yeah. Okay, for this, for this to be energized, it simply means that I then see the dependency there. Yes, I need bandwidth and I need internet connection and I need co- connectivity. But there is also that dependency on energy. So you see that Inter, that, that the interdependency and we become mm-hmm. so energy dependent and mm-hmm. so it means then that that cost as you just rightly said that cost has to be reduced and remember anything you do and you can minimize your cost it simply means that if you put greater a greater level of efficiency utilization of your resources labor and capital then there is then there is greater growth then there is overall growth but these are the kind of these are the kind of things where you must establish what is called that whole symbiotic relationship. We must also be we must always be working together in synergy. At the end of the day, I truly believe that it doesn't matter if success of a country 
The ant can say to the elephant, we shook the bridge, didn't we? Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Armandaris, you know, in, in listening to you, I mean, I could, you know, we could, uh, you're one of those few, and I say few because very few religions that you could actually have a enlightened conversation about without without getting into any paradigm uh, or interpreting all about party, politics, or whatever, and look, just strictly discussing the national interest of the country, the long-term development of that country. You're one of the few individuals that I must confess that I can talk to, but Tucker was one of those, you know, who, who just see, who sees the picture of where this country, of how, so the needs that we need, the needs for development of, of, of Belize as, as, a, as a country. But, you know, having said that, you know, as, as, a, as someone who's intricately involved in the development of our country in terms of education, you know, with the waste management project, why are these things, why did these things, why are they not doing more? They, well, they seem to be dragging their leg with you know some of the projects that you're talking about. Let me let me go to solid waste, and I solid waste is is really a project that I was lucky to be one of the I was lucky to be one of the consultants on one part of that project, and I must say that it's headed by a, a group. I mean, a, you know, an authority, and headed by an individual, uh, Mr. Lewis, who I have a lot of trust in, and the transition that that has taken place, as a matter of fact. They were recently awarded by Mexico, I believe, and I got an email saying, listen, you, you, you helped to contribute. And I just simply said to him, to Mr. Lewis, yes, it, it is your thing, it is your success, and I'm happy. That project has really moved from, as a matter of fact, if you, if you come to the city and all those transport stations and everything else, and uh, the systematic and all the protocols, and everything else that in place, that's in place. That's a success project. That project has really moved, right? No, and that's why we go back to the overriding thing here, Hubert, and it has to do with leadership. Whenever you're going to put somebody in charge of a project, put the person there because the person has the requisite skills and leadership acumen to, to, to be able to organize the resources that, will be used in that project or utilized, I don't want to use the word used, but utilized in that project to make sure that it succeeds within a specific ta- specified time because the, the, the cost is too high. The cost of failure is too high taken. And I truly believe this. Make the best use of your resources. If you cut everyone, if you, if you were to make a cut on anybody, we believe the same way. Mm-hmm. After an election, you can't be in election mode throughout, whether you're in government or opposition. And you notice I don't use the two parties. I don't use party, party names because there's no need, as you said, for us to do that. But it has to be a case where the focus then has to be on the best utilization of the resources. If the resource tells you, I can't work with you because, then that's a different story. But I truly believe that there are enough people around, right? There are people around who can be better utilized because if we do that, it's going to make the cost of doing business and the cost of growth is going to be cheaper and there will be better utilization of resources and with the better efficient utilization of resources, you will see tangible growth. And there are number of there are number of these byproducts and these kind of little things. Believe it or not, 
believe it or not, there is this book called Freakonomics. And in that book, the guy simply says, if you want to reduce crime, reduce the population. In other words, what Singapore did, Singapore simply said to, to families, I'm suggesting to you to help us to reduce the poverty that we presently face, have less mm-hmm. children. And if you reduce, if that happens, then there's less dependence on the resources as well. But the resources that exist, fully utilized, rather than frustrated resources, the dimension, the dynamics will be far more positive. You know, I mean, we, we're coming down to the wire here. We have five minutes or so, Dr. Abandaris. Yeah. And um, it's been a very, very enlightened, beautiful conversation. I, I love, I am the kind of individual, once I get talking to people such as yourself, it, it's refreshing because it, it, I know it tells me that your level of consciousness is 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 is, is at a level that that, that that surpassed that petty, rabid, you know, pigeonhole thing of uh, you know sticking into one paradigm for development. But you're looking at the yeah. universal universal aspect. So that's always refreshing. But um, since we've gone to the wire here, um, is there? Um, I'm gonna let you have the last word. Is there any meaningful or if there's one telling telling point that you want to leave with your listener that tuned in this morning, what would that be? As the far point as I would the want... Involvement of Belize, as far as right. Belize, vis-a-vis Belize educational um, system and the development of a country. The, what I would want to leave is, is simply this, that my people, it's really time for us. We must remember that when we elect our leaders, or we elect those people to lead us. We did not elect them to serve them. We elect them because they said they wanted to be servants of this country. And it's important for us, it's important for us to make those demands, to make sure that primarily that the decisions are made, those decisions have to do with macro growth, the overall growth of this country. It's important for the, educa- the, the architects of our educational system, and you have different, different parts working together. Yes, we have challenges, and one of the things we must understand, we can't sit by as, or stand by as by standards, by standards or stand in our bathroom and, and criticize. We must be a pivotal part, an integral part of our country's development. We can't just stand aside and criticize. How can one, one ounce of my flesh be sacrificed in order to make sure that we can grow. We should not be worrying about whether or not an opposition is standing out there saying, listen, we want to be the government and then we'll take over. And the government is, you know, whatever the situation might be, it has to be a case where there has to be cohesive growth. And this cohesion will only come if we do not allow politics, not politicians, to divide us. It is a case where we can think, we must, uh, we must think independently, we must not be afraid to share our opinions and views, and when those things happen, you will see that changing paradigm where the expectations will be different, but also those people we like to be our leaders will say, you know what, we can rely more on our people to help us to grow. And, I will, mm-hmm. and again, I will say this. Even if you're an ant, you can walk on that elephant's back and say, 
We I don't mean to cut you back to Amandaris, but uh, we, we really pressed for good, like 60 seconds. So, But I want to thank you for coming on. Sure. You know? And um, we will have a kind of conversation again. I definitely would like to see you and Dr. Bowa together. You know, that, That's something I'm going to try to do, okay, my brother? I want to yes, thank you, and welcome. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning. You were listening to Dr. Lira Amandaris, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind coming out of Belize. Uh, we need more thank Dr. Amandaris in that country. All right, Dr. Mandaris, you Thank have a you good Saturday. Much, Enjoy it with your you family, too. and God bless you. Thank you. You too. And all the rest of my, all the rest of my listeners, do the right thing. <laughs>